I'm curious if you've um, struggled with something like I have when it comes to describing our church. If anyone has asked you, um, tell me about First Baptist Church of Jefferson City, or, or they just ask you, where, where do you go to church? Um, I, I've struggled with that a little bit because we have a unique church. I've heard a few of you talk about that. And, and some of the stories I've heard is, um, I, I go to a Baptist church, but, but let me tell you about it. Let me help you understand what kind of Baptist church it is. It's the good kind of Baptist. <laughs> and, and we're going to kind of get into that today because we all know if we've been around the block long enough, there are different kinds of Baptist churches. And today's um, topic about church autonomy gets into why that is and, and kind of why it's important. Um, I do have to admit I am not the most qualified person to preach this sermon or this series, and, and I'll tell you one embarrassing story of why. Uh, years ago, when I was applying to the University of Missouri and Columbia for college, I was filling out, back before the internet, I was filling out my paper application, and there was um, a question I got to about my religious preference. I don't think they ask that question anymore. But I, you know, got to the question, what is your religious preference? And it had all denominations listed, you know, Roman Catholic, Presbyterian. And then my eyes kind of blew open when I saw all the types of Baptists that were listed in, in the boxes I could check. You know, everything, missionary Baptist, uh, Southern Baptist, American Baptist, National Baptist, on and on and on and on. And... Um, as, as a 17-year-old kid, I knew on Sunday mornings my mom drugged me to a Baptist church, but that's, that's all I knew. I didn't know what flavor or type of Baptist church it was, but I put my teenage reasoning skills to work, and I realized, okay, I know I go to a Baptist church, and I know I'm American, so obviously that makes me an American Baptist, so that's what I checked right there. Um, Later on, when I paid a little bit more attention, I realized, like many of you, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. But I had no idea that didn't mean anything to me back then. Um, so, so I'm a little bit apprehensive about this sermon series because I'm not the most qualified. I, I seriously, I know there are people listening right now who know more about church autonomy, other Baptist um, doctrines than I do. I, I readily admit that. And and I'm also a little bit nervous because this topic can be kind of dry. You know, there, there's some history involved, so there, there's some things like that. So I, I will do my best not to put you to sleep. But as I've talked to a few of you in preparation for today and the Sundays to come, um, I invite you to, to hang with me because this is important. What makes us a Baptist church and some of the things we're going to tackle in the coming week? The things we're going to talk about in these next couple of weeks are really, really significant, especially for the time we live in right now, where it, it seems like if you don't agree with me, I'm done with you, and we separate ourselves and, and move on. When we live in a time when there's so much fighting for power and control, where there's just so much in our culture that, that makes it tough. 
Um, so the, these are important topics, even though they seem maybe kind of dry um, and, and not that exciting. So please hang with me. Um, so today, church autonomy. Autonomy is one of those $10 words I don't use very much. Uh, so I, I turn to the internet, you know, to pull, pull a few definitions of what that means. Um, you probably already know that, that part of what being an autonomous church means is to have the right of self-government. We're a self-governing congregation. Having the power to make our own decisions. We do. We make our own decisions. And to function independently without control of others. All of that it, it describes what it means to be a Baptist church and what it means to be First Baptist Church. We have all those things. We have, have the freedom to do what we feel God leads us to do. And just share with you a, a few four examples what that has meant for this congregation over the years. Back in 1970, when about 200 people from this church felt led to go start another church, they did that. I wasn't around back then. I imagine they, they had some conversations with others, but they started that other church, which has led to Concord Baptist Church here in town, 1970. Didn't have to ask permission. Didn't have to say, can we do this? Felt God led them to do it and made it happen. More than 30 years ago, when this congregation felt like it was important to begin ordaining women as well as men to serve the congregation, the church did that. They made the choice. They said, we're going to do that because we believe women, as well as men, have been called to serve God. That's a por- an important part of our her- church history. More recently, April 28, 2013, some of you were a part of this. Many of you were a part of this. This congregation felt led to not meet in the sanctuary for a Sunday, but to go out into the community on the first Mission JC Sunday and invite other congregations to join us, to share God's love outside the church walls. Nobody gave us permission to do that. We felt like that's what God wanted us to do. That's a way we can have an impact in the community. So we did it. Just a few months ago, war in Ukraine. How do we respond to that? Didn't want to wait or, we, you know, things like that. You can't wait for some outside distant body to say, we give you permission to do so-and-so. We as a congregation figured out quickly how can we respond? How can we provide financially? And now more recently, how can we write words of encouragement and send those to the people in Ukraine and the refugees? Didn't need permission to do that. We felt like it was what God wanted us to do, so we responded. And finally, in this time of of seeking a, a new pastor for the congregation, we don't look to an outside body. We don't have someone else telling us This is who we send to be your pastor. We have that responsibility and that privilege of selecting our own pastor for the future. So church autonomy has a lot of positives. It means a lot as a congregation. But it also comes with with some trade-offs, if you will. Mentioned earlier, you know, kind of having described the flavor of Baptist church we are. uh, Because of church autonomy... There are churches such over in Topeka, Kansas, like Westboro Baptist Church, if you're familiar with them. Um, They're a group of people, I I hesitate to even call them a church, but they have selected a few passages uh, that that focus on God's 
wrath and judgment. And they show up in places with signs of hate. And, and they're, they're a Baptist church. So we, we have this dynamic of, of the privilege of having freedom to follow God as we feel led, but also the challenge of what that looks like. I'm reminded of, of years ago when I was in seminary, um, I was sitting through my Baptist history class, and it was as painful as you can imagine. I think I, I had it one day a week, so it was three hours long. It was rough. But one day stood out to me in that class because um, the Baptist history professor, he put up a graphic on the screen um, that was basically the Baptist family tree, if you will. And it was started out with, with a few lines in the 1600s of Baptist denominations, and you could count on, on one hand, really two fingers, Baptist roots and how they begin. But then after a while, there, there'd be splits, there'd be splinters, and different branches would form. And then when you got into the 1900s, there would just be this immense amount of branches where different denominations formed. And my professor made this, this, this observation that really stuck with me and I really um, believe is so true. He talked about in Baptist life, where there's the freedom to make our own decisions and to choose how we feel like God is leading us, as long as churches and as long as denominations focused on doing the mission uh, that, that they felt called to do, as long as they were concerned about meeting people's needs outside the church walls, sharing the gospel outside the church walls, as long as they were focused on doing things for others, living out the mission, those, those splits didn't occur. But whenever a denomination or a church body became more focused on those internal things, on, you know, fill in the blank. We, we, I don't know if I agree with you about this little issue or this thing. Um, when they became focused internally, that's when those splits happened. That's when people uh, realized, eh, no, we're going to fight about this instead of focusing on serving God and serving, loving God and loving other people. Divisions happened, and that's the way it continues today. So church autonomy opens the door for some wonderful things and, of course, some challenging things. I wish there was a passage in Scripture that we could go to and, and just spells out what church autonomy looks like and what it's about, but we're not going to find those words in the Bible. Autonomous church, that's, that's not in the Bible. We are going to look at a passage from Acts chapter 6, though, that I think uh, gives us an idea of what it looks like to be an autonomous church. Before we jump into that, I, I remind all of us that whenever we look to Scripture and in the New Testament, um, those folks back then, they didn't have it all figured out. The passage we're going to look at, and if you look at anywhere from Acts on through the, the letters of Paul and, and others, they were dealing with situations as, as they came up. They didn't, God, Jesus didn't leave them with, with the manual of this is how you handle this church conflict. They were doing their best to figure it out as they go. And, and for me, personally, I feel like we're, we're still in that boat. You know, we, we know there's some unchangeable things. We know Jesus gave his life so that we can have life. We know we're to love God and love other people. 
But the way church looks and how we deal with different issues that confront us as a culture and as a society, that we still don't have all the answers in my book. We still struggle to figure it out. And, and that's kind of my point. So Acts chapter 6, we'll, we'll remember things were different back then. They didn't gather like this in a large building. They, uh, for, for their times together, they gathered in people's homes or, or in uh, common areas, usually outside. They didn't have, for example, a, a call to response at the end of their service. Um, and and they, were, they were just working to figure it out as they went. So join me with, with uh, reading Acts chapter 6. And I'm going to start in verse 1 here. Now during those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, brothers and sisters, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task. While we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Recorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Um... Last week, I got in trouble for having a sermon that had four points. I'm going, I'm going to have a sermon. If, you're, if you've been in Baptist life, you know you're only supposed to have three points in a Baptist sermon. Today's sermon's going to have four points again. I didn't learn my lesson last week, so bear with me in that. But in this passage, we see God's people, those following Jesus, trying to work out their faith. And we see some, some things. These four points is not rocket science. It's, it's pretty simple. But first... They had conflicts, just like we did. We see in this story there, there was a, a separation, a division, a rift forming between uh, two groups of widows. The, the Hebrew group of widows, who is the more traditional, the conformist, they, they fit in. Nope, they didn't uh, rock the boat, nothing wrong there. And then the Hellenistic Hebrews. And what that means is it's talking about the widows, excuse me, the Hellenistic widows were those that had adopted the Greek culture. They began to speak the Greek language. They adopted Greek customs. So they were, they were kind of on the outs, if you will. If you were a traditionalist, they didn't, they didn't conform. They didn't fit your idea of, of what it looked like to be a, a Jesus follower back then. So, so they had a conflict, just like we did. We do from time to time. Um, so the second point is that the leaders got involved and the congregation dealt with it. Very simple. Again, not rocket science. But instead of ignoring it, instead of having hush-hush side conversations that tend to only make matters worse, uh, instead of just letting the rift continue on, people got involved and they dealt with it. Said, here, here's a problem. Let's figure this out together. I don't maybe necessarily agree with you, you may not agree with me, but let's talk it through. Let, let's get it out on the table. 
And the leaders came up with, with their concept of, okay, this is a solution. This is work. We, we felt called by God to focus on this, to focus on preaching, focus on teaching the word. We need to involve some other people here. And it doesn't get into this too much, but personally I feel like, you know, there, there was the, the potential here for those nitty-gritty things, those things that lead us to division, like I talked about earlier in, in church history, that that could have easily happened here. But the leaders in the congregation felt like the most important thing is taking care of people. It doesn't matter if they're Hellenistic widows or Hebrew widows. They're people that God loves and needs to be taken care of. So let's figure out a way to take care of them. And that's what they did. So that's, that's really the third point. They remained focused on what God had called them to do. Instead of getting uh, worried about, you know, all, all the internal things that divided them, they're committed to staying focused on loving God and loving each other and loving people as a whole. They did something about it. They got involved and, and they responded to that. And did you notice how that story ended, how that passage ended? When I was younger, when I would read the Bible, I would often look for a, a formula that I could kind of pull out and I felt like, Todd, if, if you just live by this formula, then, then you'll be the, the perfect Christian, if you will. If I do A, then God will do B. If, if I do this and that, then God will, will be with me, kind of thing. And I, I found as I've gotten older, the, the danger in that. I talked about last week, about sometimes we can be exactly where God wants us to be, and it'd be really hard. Um, so our situation, our, our circumstances don't always uh, affirm, you know, that, that we're doing what God wants us to be. But in this situation, you see that last sentence there? The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly. The church was in a position where they could have easily let a division tear them apart. They could have, could have chosen sides. They could have, you know, argued about it, fought about it, but they found a way to focus on what God called them to do, love God, love people, and God worked through that, and God blessed that, and I, uh, while I resist formulas, I think this is something that, that's consistent throughout scripture. When we honor God and do our best to follow him together, God shows up, God blesses, God works through that, and then People take notice of that, and people are attracted to that. People are drawn to be part of a congregation that is concerned about more than just themselves. And I think that's a universal truth that this passage brings out. So church autonomy may not be the most exciting thing to talk about. Um, and, and this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. In the coming weeks, we're going to deal with some things that are, that are even more challenging and, and Honestly, I ask for your prayers as I prepare for that, and I ask you to pray for our congregation as we talk about some of those things that are a little bit more controversial or a little bit more divisive because they're important to us, not only as a congregation as we think about now and in the future, but as each of us, as we follow Jesus and try to figure out how do I live the Christian faith in this divided world, they have implications for us in that as well. Let's pray together.
God, thank you so much for being with us today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for stories like this in Acts 6 of how your people dealt with different things, dealt with conflicts, and how they looked to you and followed you. We thank you that you're present with us today as we do the same thing, as we stumble through this world, doing our best to follow you, doing our best to love you and love other people. And Lord, now as we come to this time of response, help us to listen to your voice and respond as you lead us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.